let me open in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this evening again. Um, thank you for these guys who have are coming um, to just get into your word. Um, we do pray, Lord, that as we do, um, this is not just stuff in our head, not just stuff we learn, but ways in which we encounter you, that we can personally hear from you, the God who personally died for us, so we can have this relationship with you, Lord. Um, and I love in John how it says we can do nothing, absolutely nothing without you. So I just pray that as we will be talking about your spirit today, your very presence that lives in us, Lord, I pray that that presence will work in us individually and collectively, Lord, to hear you, to see you, to understand you from our hearts in ways we never have before. Reveal yourself to us, Lord. Reveal how much you care about us, how much you love us, how much you love those around us. Lord, we just thank you for eternal life, an eternal life that we can begin living today. Guide us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Um, we'll welcome Dale here. Um, I love when we have guys inviting guys. <laughs> um, welcome. Um, why don't we? Why don't we just quickly go around again? Just say names so make sure everyone knows everybody. Um, these are the twin Steves. I know that. So you guys say Steve, Steve. <laughs> John. Eric. Yep. Jason. Chad. Ruben. Chris. And Greg. Awesome. All right. So we are, um, we're in chapter 11. So if you guys want to go ahead and open up to chapter 11, Isaiah, page 64 in your journal Bibles. Um, makes it a little easier when we all have the same one if you do have it. Um, go, go ahead and open up to there. Um, last week, we made a lot of progress in chapter 11. <laughs> we made the first verse. Got through the first verse. <laughs> I, I, my, my hope is tonight that we will get through all of 11 and um, even close with 12. Uh, but we'll see how that goes. Um, so we last week, just uh, we had some really good discussion, just a lot of different things about Isaiah. Um, and can anybody... Give a little recap as to one of the things I talk, we talked about last week is it's good to read Isaiah as a story, you know, as a narrative that starts at the beginning, that goes all the way to the end. Um, and in a lot of ways, it's structured like that. But also within that, we, what we talked about last week is that within the story of what's happening to Israel, and by Israel, I mean the entire people of God there of Israel, northern and southern kingdoms, that what's happening to Israel, that as Isaiah is going through talking about that, he also, in what is happening to Israel, he's also offering us glimpses of things that are not going to just happen that time or soon with Israel, but glimpses as to what's going to happen past that time, to, to, to the time of Jesus, really to the time of us, and also to the very, very end. All right, and we talked about last week how even the house of David, the, meaning the King David, that's mentioned in, in verse 1 here from the stump of Jesse, uh, David's father, that even in that we see David being talked about all the way from, you know, sec, from Samuel, book of Samuel in the Old Testament, all the way to the very, very last chapter, almost the very last book of Revelation. 
Um, you know, when people think like, oh my gosh, you know, the Bible is just, you know, just this thing that's been written by a bunch of guys over all these periods of time. When you take a look at these threads that happen, even though you have, you know, it written over 3,000 years, over multiple continents, with all these different writers, it's just amazing to see these ways in which God has taken his word and just threaded it all together. You know, we get to sort of see those glimpses even in Isaiah right now because we're seeing how the story is going on back in 700 B.C., but how that story then ripples, we talked about, into what is happening with Jesus and ultimately even what has still not happened and even that hope that we, we have today. So um, what is, uh, as we start reading chapter 11, and what I was talking about before is as we're going through here, what's happening in chapter 11 is almost like We've been talking about what's happening with Israel at the time, but in chapter 11 we get sort of like this pause where all this destruction and judgment is coming upon Israel because they've not followed God. And then all of a sudden we get chapter 11 here, which is just this like light. It's almost like a lantern put into a dark space, you know, saying, hey, there is hope. As much as there looks like there's all this destruction, Looking like the forest, it says, you know, the stump. The forest has been wiped out, but there's these little shoots coming up to give us hope of something in the future. And we will see that throughout over and over again in Isaiah. Um, so what? who, who is we're looking at um, 11 here? In fact, let's just read 11, um, I think. Well, let's just read the first part of it here. Um, Steve. First Steve, Steve number one, <laughs> to my left. Um, why don't you read Isaiah 11, and let's do one through five. Okay. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and and the fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see, or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor, and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his waist. Did you want to go to No, that's fine. Let's go. Uh, no, that's good. Go to five. That's, you were done with five there, right? Yeah. yeah. Let's let's end with five for now. Um, so here is this just in the middle for those of us who've been here. You know, right in the middle here. Who? What are we? What, what's happening to Israel right now? What's happening to Judah? At this point, just a sort of a review. Um, Moral depravity, political corruption, social injustice, and spiritual idolatry. That's today, though, isn't <laughs> it? <laughs> well put. <laughs> so, very well. And why, okay, so why kind is... Kind of like America. Today, yeah, I was going to say, just it's the world today. I mean, it, it, it's not, we're not special. Um, what... What is happening? Why is that happening? Let me ask this. So in Isaiah, why is what you just said happening? 
And you, you can answer it. Other people can answer that. But I mean, why? Why is what you just said happening? Pretty much because of the kings, right? So okay. You started off with a good king, but none of them finished strong. That's the crazy <laughs> right. part. It's uh-huh. like even the good ones just kind of like blow it in the end. Yeah. But I think it was Ahaz that really like set the Lord off. Yes. He, he was like, like, he went, he took like a hundred shekels of silver and bought the Assyrian, no. Yeah, you're right, no, go ahead. Assyrian, was it? Assyrian, was, yes, Assyrian king, was? yep. Mm-hmm. I thought it was actually Judah. Well, Judah, I mean, so sorry, Ahaz, yeah, so Ahaz, 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 I, I think he is the king of Judah. Judah. Yeah. But I think he went to the king of northern Israel and no. offered him a hundred. No, that was actually, I believe, that was actually going to Assyria, yeah, the king okay. of Assyria. Because... He was trying to protect himself from the Israelites. Very good. And that's, okay. Yeah. So the, yeah. The interesting part is I've been reading Second Chronicles. Oh, okay, that's good. And he yeah. also went to um, the king of north, of northern Israel, offered his 100,000 men shekels of silver. And so they came down to do right. battle. So that was before he offered it to Ahaz. Right, right. before he offered it right. to Ahaz. And then he withdrew that. And the Lord told him to withdraw it. Okay. He withdrew it, and they got mad at him for withdrawing. Yeah, the mercenaries got mad. That's right. Yes. And so he goes out, and the Lord blesses him, and they just wipe out the Edomites, I think. Might be, yeah. And then he's like going, all right, that's me. Yeah. It's all me. I didn't need those guys. He forgets about the Lord, right? And then he starts worshiping their gods. And the Lord got really pissed. So that's <laughs> yeah. why we're here. Right. Along okay. with the thing you so, did with the series. Yeah. So to answer the question, why is this happening, right? Right. Well, because God got pissed. Well, why did God... <laughs> okay. But why... And it's a good question. Why did God get pissed? Because of disobedience. Because and of what, arrogance. Right. Because of... And well, how good... Right. So just as a review, so what was it specifically that was sort of like probably the last straw for the Lord? When, when, when he, uh, Ahaz dismissed the God's complete, hey, ask me for anything you want. Exactly. Very good. Okay. So, I mean, we got down to the point where literally God asked Ahaz, you can have anything you want for me to show you that I'm the God you can trust. Okay. Anything, a blanket statement, very rare do you see this in scripture. Blanket statement Ahaz, and what did Ahaz do? I'm good. Yeah, I'm good. I don't, I don't, I don't want to trouble Yeah. So he, so, so he rejected, he rejected the Lord. And that was this whole thing, I know it looks like for this, those of you who are new, this whole mess up here. This is eight, um, I don't exactly, but eight, um, chapter eight, like somewhere around seven or something verses all the way to the end. And it's structured this way because it's trying to show that ultimately um, what Ahaz did was he put everything to his own plan, okay, put all this trust into his own plan, which ultimately was going to bring him judgment. And ultimately what he should have done is done this right here, which is to regard, not put his fear into the conspiracies that are going on, not to put his fear into what was happening all around him and the threats that were happening to him. 
All he needed to do was just this one thing. And it was because he did not do this one thing, which is you are to regard only the Lord of armies as holy, not yourself, (laughs) which is sort of what he did. Only he, the Lord, should be feared. And what was Ahaz fearing? He was he ended up fearing Assyria. Right? He was well. He was fearing. He was fearing that the conspiracy that was taking place between northern Israel and Syria that got together as a conspiracy to say we're going to just take over Judah, and his fear of what was happening around him is what drove him. Them ultimately, like you said. Ultimately, it drove him to go to the enemy, which is Assyria, and try to make a pact with them and worship their God instead of his God. All right. So it comes back down to what you were saying that, I mean, if you ever want to know which where to go in life, <laughs> you know, yeah. It sounds so simple, but if you if you just always remember in the decisions I make, who am I trusting? Am I trusting in what's going on in the world? Am I trusting what I think is right, or am I trusting the Lord? And it just always comes down to that. All right. So as we as we get to chapter eleven here, we're reading, we find out that because God is pissed, all right, He's going to bring judgment upon. Judah, all right? And ultimately what we see is he's going to use Assyria, and this is what God works in his interesting ways, he's going to use Assyria to bring about the judgment. So the very nation that Ahaz goes to trust is used by God to bring judgment unto Ahaz, or irony way God works. But ultimately then what will happen is Assyria themselves will also be judged by God. But first of all, God comes and judges his people. And so what we find out is that we're in the situation where that judgment is coming down upon Judah. And we ended, if you remember, we ended with um, we ended with chapter 10, which says, Behold, the Lord God of hosts will lop the boughs with terrifying power. The great in height will be hewn down. The lofty will be brought low. Ahaz represents all that. Okay, he's the king that's representing that. He will cut down, being the Lord, the thickest of the forest with an axe, and Lebanon will fall by the majestic one. What does Lebanon have to do with it? Well, Lebanon, I mean, that area, so today, Lebanon is just north of Israel. Okay, so um, that area is part of, well, it's past Israel today. But it's part of that whole area that they're talking about. If you remember, well, it's we... it's part of Assyria? It's part of... Um, we talked... Where the northern that? region, more than likely. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah and it is. I, and think I'm, it, I think it's referenced a lot because it was, a, like, and still is, like, sort of a, a really major hub and really, really wealthy. Yeah. In a place that was always very popular and, and affluent. Uh, that whole that whole area, I think, is part. That whole area is part of, of what would be sort of the northern Israel, Syria. That whole section. I was just curious if the area for Lebanon was the same then as it is now. I think it is pretty much, yeah. Okay, right on the coast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, thank you. 
Um, okay, so we have this judgment happening, and then in the middle of it, it basically sounds like is you know Judah and Israel is going to just be completely wiped out. Okay, and then we have chapter eleven that comes out of nowhere. All right, and this is where all of a sudden it's almost like a break that Isaiah's taking and saying, "Hey, wait a minute. Okay, there is still hope." Even though everything is going to be wiped out, the forest, I mean, in essence, represent the people, are just going to be completely wiped out. They're not going to be completely wiped out. In the midst of this is a hope. All right? And where does that hope come from? If you look at chapter 11, where does that hope come from? The stump of Jesse. The stump of Jesse. Which means that hope is coming from? Lineage. The lineage of? The guy that comes from Jesse. <laughs> Very good. The lineage of, da- uh, lineage of David. Very good. All right. Okay. That's right, Steve. Make, make some work. <laughs> All right. So who are we referring to here? The Messiah. The Messiah. Okay. The Messiah means, what does, what does the Messiah mean? What does Messiah mean? You said this on Tuesday. Yeah. And, it, and it was, I was like, how do I not know that? It's correct. What does Messiah, what is Jesus, what is Jesus called? Anointed one. Jesus is called the anointed one. Excellent. Mm-hmm. We call that, what word do we use for Jesus when we Christ. give? Christ. Christ. Excellent. Okay. Got that? Savior. Anointed one. Christ is the Greek. Christ. Right? right. Which which is the Messiah, all right, which is the anointed one, yep. all right? So Hebrew word is Messiah for anointed one. Yeah, it does, I mean, that's not actually the, I mean, we're saying the word Messiah, but for the sake of it, it's, it's mes, I can't say it in Hebrew right now, but it's like Messiah, okay? Sounds like it, all right? All right. And what did we say last week about who is the only one called the anointed one in Isaiah? Cyrus. Cyrus. Okay. So a lot of people, like, you think, oh, well, why didn't the Jews get this? And they're looking at this. And, and you notice even in our passage here, it's not saying anointed one here, okay, in, in, verse, in, in chapter 11. Um, the only one that's actually called the anointed one is in Isaiah by name is Cyrus. All right. However, why don't you guys turn to Isaiah 61? We'll get there someday. Okay. So if you look at Isaiah page 336. All right. You see where it says there, Isaiah 61, it says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me, all right, to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the broken heart, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. Who are we talking about? That's Jesus. That's Christ. That's Jesus. How do we know we're talking about Jesus? Because he says this very verse. Luke. Luke. Very good. Jesus actually uses this passage as his opening in Luke 4. This is how he starts his ministry. He walks into a synagogue. 
he opens up the scroll, and I mean, these are big scrolls, okay, big heckin' scrolls, and he reads this passage from Isaiah, saying, the one you hoped for 700 plus years ago, I am he. I am that anointed one. So, thinking of anointing, what does that mean when you hear the word anointing? Why, what, what does the word anoint mean? Well, I think it also could be chosen one. Uh, well, it could be chosen, but what does he actually hear when someone is anointed? What does that mean? Why? What's if Christ means the anointed one, Messiah means the anointed one. Here we see that anointing. What is an anointing? What does that even? They have a special mission. Okay, special mission. And I think they would literally anoint them with oil as well. Okay, so they anoint them with oil. You're right. Just like with Why? Aaron, right? Yes, right. that's exactly right. So you're going back to the Levites. Is it kind of like an installation of a responsibility? Okay. Uh, why? Where do you? Or a blessing? Yeah. Why? Where do you think w- w- this idea of anointing came from? Think about why are you pouring oil? Yeah. Did it do with sheep? Over someone. Did oh, it have yeah. to do they, with sheep? They used to do that sacrifice. <laughs> yeah. It didn't Not have sacrifice. It was like they poured over the heads to keep the animals from going through the years. Right. To, to, to keep them clean, basically. Yeah. Right. So here we go. Right? So think about what he just said. Right? Why am I doing that? What is that? Where does that, that, the word what is this? came from that act called anoint. And very good. <laughs> what the word anoint, it actually had a purpose. Okay. So just go, go ahead and say that again, Ruben. Uh, they would put the oil over the sheep's head to be able to protect it. And I'm not sure of the exact purpose. I thought it was to be able to keep certain animals or insects from being able to kind of penetrate and go into the... Very, very, right. very, very good. That's correct. So where anointing came from is the very good. <laughs> okay? It was because they would put oil over sheep, and it actually got to be where they would put oil over people. When something was going on with those people. They became a king. Well, no, don't think about that yet. Okay. Think about just the function of what does the oil actually do. Before this is even given any kind of a religious sense. Mm-hmm. Think about what Reuben just said. That it, they're putting oil over the sheep to protect the sheep from... Insects. Insects. Pests. Pests. Why would I pour oil on a person in those days? What would I be trying to get rid of by pouring oil over the head of a person? Lice. Very good. Lice. Yeah. And fleas. Exactly. Yeah. All right. So that's where the word actually came from. That's amazing. It, it, because what happens is if you have, and you think of like with sheep, but if you have lice in your head and you take oil and you pour it over it, what are the lice going to do? Drown. Well, they're either going to drown or they're going to try to get the heck out of that oil. They're going to rise up and they're trying to get over it. So as I'm pouring oil over someone, what I'm actually doing is I'm cleansing them and I'm protecting them from insects. 
Okay, that's where the word anoint came from, from a religious perspective, because what am I doing when I'm anointing someone with oil like Aaron? What am I, what's the symbol mean? What am I, what am I saying when I do that? What am I trying to show that God is doing through that anointing? He is doing what? God's protection. Protection. What you said? Purifying. Purifying. Excellent. I'm taking someone with a bunch of bugs. <laughs> All right. That anointing is I'm taking away that sin. I'm anointing them for a task, but I'm cleansing them. It's a representation of a cleansing that's happening with them. That presupposes that they're worthy. And what we're referring to is olive oil, not just any oil. But it's yes, olive oil, which is the oil okay. of life. That's right. Very good. And it's the best hair conditioner you can have. Yeah. <laughs> People don't know that, but it's, it really conditions your hair yeah. beautifully. And if you go to Israel today, yeah, if you go to Israel today and you go to the Garden of Gethsemane, has anybody been there, Garden of Gethsemane? Okay, when you go to the Garden of Gethsemane, what do you see in the Garden of Gethsemane? You what? They sell oil there. Well, they sell oil, but what do you see in there? Olive trees. Olive trees, olive trees exactly. Old fact, olive trees. Very old, old olive trees. Olive trees. <laughs> those olive trees, I remember, so cool. I mean, they think that potentially the root systems of those olive trees you see today could originally have been part of the olive trees that were back there in the time of Jesus. That was just a huge industry back then. If you look at those olive trees, have you guys ever seen pictures? I've got some pictures of my, that I took when I was there, but I mean, you know, they're mad, you know, like trunks like this, really? massive, yeah. very, 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 very old. I think their root systems that yeah, go, go out, yeah. and then they sprout, all the trees sprout over oh, the root system. Really. Yeah. Right. They have to sprout off a root? That is exactly right. <laughs> and I never, I never really yeah. thought about that, but we had a fig tree in the corner of our backyard that a neighbor had chopped down quite a few years ago, but it was still trying to make it look like 30 feet away in our backyard, another one just sprouted up. Started. And somebody goes, well, yeah, that's probably right up its root system. Yeah. 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 That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> so what we're seeing here, you see in Luke, what we're seeing here is, is essence, you're seeing that anointing, okay, of this one here. What is what is what is being what is the anointing to consecrate or okay. to set apart? All right. Okay. And what is being shall I say? How is that anointing taking place? And so when you're anointed, even in the Old Testament, when David was anointing, what happens to him after his anointing? I remember. What what is it that happens to David after he is anointed? So Samuel, I think, is anoints David to become king. What is the what is the result after that anointing? Usually, usually like a lot of like hell breaks loose. Well, before even that, what's what is it that's going to make it so David can do the so you you have the act of pouring oil over David? That's an act of the anointing. But that isn't that's just a symbol in essence. What ends up happening that empowers David so he can then do his ministry? Spirit. The spirit. Excellent. So when David is anointed, what ends up happening? The spirit falls upon him. Okay. Empowering him to do that. Alright. What happens? What 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 is what do we see happening here? 
What is it? What does it work here in this person that's being referred to, which we know ultimately is Christ? Notice what it says. Well, these are the attributes to expect. Well, the attributes to expect, but those attributes come because that person's now been anointed with the spirit. The spirit. Very good. Okay. So you notice what happens here. So this person, which again they don't know yet, it's going to be Christ, and the what spirit of the Lord rests upon them, or as it says also in Isaiah 61, what happens? The spirit it fills them. All right. So they they end up becoming filled with the Holy Spirit when they're anointed, and it is that spirit that then gives them the ability to do and become. God has ordained them to become, right? Yeah, it's, okay. it's really there was kind of a dichotomy. Uh huh. Um, all these attributes that being attributed ahead of time, but the one thing that jumped out at me is uh, three: uh, delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. Yeah. Meaning respect and honor. Yeah. So even though he's complete, he's still subject to. Very good. Yeah. And fear, right? What's the fear? The ultimate, <laughs> yeah. Only he should be held in awe. Only he should be right. feared. In fact, this is actually only he should I be mean, held in fear, too. With this huge burden, but he knows his relative position. Yep. Yep. Very good. The King James uses the word shall quicken him. Except that was kind of And he uses what? Quicken him. It's like a, uh, it has a few different meanings. <clears throat> when I think back to establish and uh, well, like I think like bring him to life. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. And, yeah. But there's actually one attribute missing from here. Well, let's wait till we get to that. Why don't okay. we, okay, wait, hold on. If you're going to do that, wait, hold on there. Okay. So before we get to that, look at these attributes, all right? And Jason and Chad, you guys can't talk <laughs> for the things I'm going to talk about now because you guys know the answers to what I'm going to do in a few minutes, so you guys have to sort of be quiet. That's because they were part of something early this week, this weekend, which involves what I'm going to talk about. So um, question for you. If someone was to ask you, what is the spirit, how would you answer that question? The relationship with Christ. Interesting. It's a relationship with Christ. Okay. What is the spirit? It's a force. Interesting. It's a force. It's a person. Yes. It's a person. What did you say? It's a person. It's a person. Okay. May the force be with you. <laughs> so, yes. Yeah, so, there was just done a survey. All right. Uh, this is why I told these guys we were, we had some training for the um, for the leaders who are going to be teaching. We have, which is awesome. Okay. I mean, Chad, you know, you know, we we anointed him last week as he is going to be organizing, overseeing, and leading, and already is teaching these. Um, the, our youth. And then Jason and his wife was there and a, several other people who are going to be starting to um, teach and and helping our youth do exactly what all you guys are here for right now, all right, to get into this word and to, to grow their faith in Christ. 
What was interesting was just last week, I, it coincidentally almost, I call this a God instance, I call it, a survey was just recently done, a very extensive survey of all, everyone in America, all right, as far as the state of the Christian church, all right, Christian faith, all right, and so of all the people in the United States, which I think adults, we're talking about adults, I think there's, what do we think, like 350 million adults, mm-hmm. okay, um, roughly or in the total, United States. That's total. Total, yeah. Okay, so 350, let's say, total American adults in America. Oh, that's, that's men, women, children, though, Three, 350. Yeah. Does that include, is that adults yeah. or is that? No, that's everybody. Okay. That includes kids. So what I do know, because I don't know the, where this comes from, so what I do know is of all the adults in America, okay, and this was just recently done, 176 million of those adults identify themselves as Christian. Okay, that's 69% in the United States right now. Okay, so 69% identify themselves as Christian. Right. When you take and look percentage-wise again. If you say of all the people in America, how many identify themselves as either born again, all right, so born again or evangelical, which is sort of what we would consider ourselves in that area, all right, 35% of all adults in America identify themselves as born again. So you've got 69% saying they're just Christian, so that could be Catholic, that could be however else they identify themselves. Um, or maybe not even say born again or evangelical, but 35% say I'm a born again Christian. 28% would identify themselves as evangelical. All right. You guys following me so far? All right. Now, of those who consider themselves born again or evangelical, all right, which I would probably use to, I would even call that, you know, I'm, you know, I, I believe this is the word of God. I'm big Bible based. Okay. So, okay. This is what this is. I'm not now talking about this group of people who say I'm born again or evangelical. 77% of those say that having faith matters more than which faith you pursue. Good. Now, but think about that. No. It's not good. Listen to that. 77% say it doesn't matter what faith I have, just so I have a faith. Oh. These are Christians who oh, identify. Yes. That's different. Yeah, and it's a little tricky, okay? 77% say that having faith matters more than the faith they pursue. Mm. Yeah. No, so now you get what I'm talking about, you're right? Talking okay. About people yeah. That are Christians. Yeah, I'm talking, no, I, this is what's so key here. I'm talking about us. I'm talking about our church. Yeah. I'm talking about people, Christians who say, I am born again and e- or evangelical. 77% of those say it's more important that you have faith than who you put your faith in. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. I think it's it, be important to tie that to what you know 
as far as yeah. your eternal destination or, you know, to have a smooth, kind of even, steady life. I'd like to know a little bit more because they, I mean, studies do show right. that people of faith tend to have a steadier life, even if it's a different faith. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, if, if that's tied to, like, my eternal destination, then that'd be a shocking revelation in the sense that it's like, all roads don't lead to eternal life in heaven with Jesus Christ because he's our Lord and Savior right. and his sacrifice is what we profess. Right. But so, if it's just yeah. so these you have to be careful with these surveys. Well, so let me keep going. Let yeah. me keep going. But this actually survey was pretty and it was done through the Barna group and it was pretty it's pretty solid. So I mean it's I read the actual specifics you have the to entire really survey. Watch that data though. Yeah. It, I mean you can I'm glad it was done by the Barna group. Yeah. I mean that's a good start, but you the outcome there is if we don't know what that full question was, right. we might say, yeah, having faith is psychologically, it's proven that having a faith is is, is yeah. much better. You're, you're going to live longer. And so I just want to be careful. Yeah. On so let me keep going. So yeah. let me. Yeah. So good. OK. Sixty nine percent of this group. Evangelical. Born again. Accept their feelings, experience and the input of friends and family as their most trusted source of moral guidance. say that all religious faiths are of equal value. So of the subset of evangelicals, if they tick off going down these, it's almost like, did they know what they were answering? Let's assume that they did. Okay, because that was a whole point of how they did this. Okay, and again, I agree. This is a survey. But whichever way you're going to put it, just if you just listen to this, it's like their, their hope. Well, let me get, let me get, let me bring up another one. 60% goes on to what you just said. 60% believe that if a person is good enough or does enough good things, they can earn their way to heaven. What? <laughs> this is the state, and I actually would say my experience is probably pretty close to this. This is the state of American Christianity, uh, of evangelical American Christianity today. That's so sad. Because what the survey ended up coming up to was, of all Americans, all right, only 6%, okay, have a true biblical worldview that would have not answered those questions that way. Maybe Only 6% percent, good job. Yeah, have a biblical worldview that demonstrate that they understand what this Bible means and says, and they also strive to say, this is my authority in how I live it. Yeah, that is so sad. It is sad, it's which sad. is also why it's awesome that you guys are here tonight. Okay, but that's... That is, and I've watched this over 30 years of teaching the Bible. I've watched where literally less and less and less and less people really know and really wrestle with this anymore. It used to be back when I first became, maybe you guys can relate to, do you guys remember when we used to have Sunday school? You know, after, yes. after church, right. you'd come to church or you would either go to Sunday school first. What would you do at Sunday school? This. Yes. What we're doing here, right? Uh, no, we used to have so Sunday school. Do you have Sunday school? Yeah. Okay. That's the way it was. And then when I became a Christian, and then when I taught up in the Bay Area back in um, late 1990s, early 2000, you know, we had, you know, we were teaching Bible classes. 
all right, tons of Bible classes and teaching them and teaching them that that's what churches were doing. And then all of a sudden you watch that, all that dribble away. And you watched, I'll, I'll give you one example because I came back and heard when it was happening. And I'm, this is not against, um, what's our, what's Rick Warren's church? Saddleback. Yeah, Saddleback. It's not, it's not to talk about Saddleback specifically, but it's <coughs> an example of what I've seen across churches is all of a sudden all those Bible education, uh, Bible classes like this, or anything teach learning the Bible, started to disappear, being replaced with small groups. And small groups sound really, really good, <laughs> except for when those small groups are just not really in the Bible anymore. No. <laughs> and they're just getting together for the social purpose. social purposes yeah. and stuff. Mm-hmm. So you can see this is sort of dwindled down. And when you're talking about, I mean, whether you say 6% or 10% or 20%, I mean, that's a huge amount that just people don't really know what their word says anymore. Yeah. Um, lately, I've been kind of struggling with a question that's tangential to this. And um, what I'm thinking is, and this is the question that occurred to myself, are what are the ethics of Christianity because you refer to if you're just a good person you don't lie and cheat and you say what you mean mean what you say and all right. those things that you can kind of bypass going through Christ and be accepted and because you're a good person right but but look. but associated with being a Christian comes a responsibility of your walk and that's where the intersection of ethics comes in but uh, after everything is said and done, ethics are defined by the society that you find yourself in. If you go over in Afghanistan, their ethics are a little different. Right, and I would say what we talked about, and I, I will not spend too much time on this, but the, the um, what we talked about with the group of kids here was you know, ultimately, our Christian faith comes down to John 15, which is where Christ says, I abide in you and you abide in me. It is a personal relationship with the living God who died on the cross. And that is where all of our, and through the power of the Spirit, right, that we're talking about right now. That is where our, that is what defines, not sort of defines, but that's what drives our ethics, okay, is because we are in a relationship with the living Christ, and it's, the question is, how do you have that relationship? And what we were talking about with the, with them is it starts <laughs> right here, all right, where we have the reveal, the revelation of God. So where this was all leading was back to what we talked about with the Holy Spirit. And me asking you that question because this is what that survey said was that 62% of evangelicals or born-again Christians contend that the Holy Spirit is not a real living being, but merely a symbol of God's power, presence, and purity. And so that is another area here, and that's exactly what we're talking about here, is when you read about the Spirit in Scripture, the Spirit is not equal to, as I used to believe before I was a Christian, is not equal to Star Wars and the Force, which is just an abstract power that enables people to do things. The Spirit has, is the power of God, has the power of God to allow us to live that Christian life. But the Spirit is a, and you guys said it, is a person. 
is a being, all right, is part of the Trinity. And when you read Scripture, and we can look at some verses if you want to, but when you look at Scripture, the Spirit is referred to as a person. It is given a pronoun. It's not talked about like this is just some abstract power of God that I have. It is the very person, it's a person of the Trinity that is the third person of the Trinity. It is the power, the presence of God living in me <laughs> is the person of God through that. Um, and so as we, as we read here and we read about the spirit, it's not just this abstract power that enables me to do God's will or something. We're dealing with the actual person of the spirit. Um, Ananias and Sapphira lied to the Holy Spirit. That's right. And their lives were lost. Because the Holy Spirit is a person of God. Yes. Right? Why, why would their lives be taken if it wasn't a person? That's right. Exactly. Okay. So, is it that the, the sin that leads unto death? About the per, about the Spirit. Or, right. Right. Yeah. If okay. anybody blasphemies the Spirit of God, yeah. that's it. Yeah. All right. So, anyway, just sort of of interest, this is a reason why it's good we're all doing what we're doing here, all right, is because you can just sort of see the state of even what we call American Christianity, even what we call the evangelical church today. It's like we need to be people who are passionately in this word, in a relationship with Christ, through the power of the Spirit, with each other, <laughs> which is, that's what's so awesome you guys are here. Yeah, Chris. Well, on the survey, you know, the stats do reveal that the people you cited, I think, 6%, are what you, I, I believe you're saying, are born again. They have kind of a right understanding right. of the spirit. That's right. And, and such and so forth. Um, we hear a lot of, you know, how Christianity, you know, the stats look just like a non-Christian. Yeah. And and part of that is because of, you know, you started with the number of, I believe, 69% or whatnot. Right. But then when you really drill down and get a little more specific information on what people believe and how do they behave, you get to a pretty small number. I don't know if it's single digits like you're talking about, but I've seen a lot of research on this. Yeah. Uh, but if you look at those people's lives and maybe some of the people present in this room that, you know, maybe you really lock in and you have a biblical understanding and, and you live that life and you look at the stats on those type of people and it's it doesn't look like the world. Right. It does not. It's abortion, not it does right. not look like that. Um, anxieties. I mean, so if you if you're an on fire, as we like to say, Christian, walking rightly, mm -hmm. you can throw the numbers that are broad strokes for you know the United States, for example, at a big number, and it's really encouraging. But you have to be careful on the surveys that you see. Right. If you don't ask any questions, I mean, you're not a typical Christian, I wouldn't assume. And you walk this on Sunday, and then Monday you're on your hands and knees. Monday night you're on your hands and knees. Tuesday. That's what we're, you know, we're living in the spirit, breath by breath. I mean, that's pretty, I mean, we, that's, we rely on the spirit. Yes. Like, that's, that's, I mean, and we all know that whenever you guys made that transition from lukewarm or whatever it was, to like, look, I'm, this is what I'm here for. Yeah. That's when the numbers, you know, yeah. and, and as Jesus said, the, the fields are white. For harvest, but the workers are few, right. and wide is the gate, of, you know, the uh, the road that leads to destruction is wide. 
is what? I mean, and that's sketchy. And that's what we just preached on. That's what Jeff and my, that's why I just did my sermon on, right? Which is the narrow gate. The narrow gate. It's narrow. It's hard. It's hard. And there's few. Right? And that few means like, I mean, if there's how many guys, say there's a thousand guys at the church, and if there's, you know what I'm saying? I mean, I don't know how many guys. And that's why I just say that's, I mean, that's, you know, and what we have to be careful about is not becoming arrogant, which is, you know, think, oh, well, somehow we're part of the special group. No, I mean, that's where you realize the grace. Right. (laughs) Which, the grace. That's right. Why am I This is why we need each other as well. This is why we need each other. There is an ebb and flow, Chris, to what you're saying, just in the body living out our our church. And so we need each other. Right. We need this. Yeah. Which is which is why I mean I'm you know I'm um, we'll move on so 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 excited to have Chad to have Jason to have Jason's wife to have these people who are going to say I'm going to teach our youth the Word of God Amen. and these guys are doing this on Sundays and on Mondays and you look and you go let's get that percentage up <laughs> you know there's kids that are going to respond. Well, oh, yeah, and they are. Yeah, it's awesome. They themselves. want this. Like, yeah. A lot of what we do is, like, it's not... I, I, I even hesitate to call it teaching at certain times because it's, like, it's right. more like... They're God, wrestling it's with the them, it, It's the Holy Spirit teaching them truly. It's just right. getting them to engage with His Word. Right. Yeah, so like facilitating. Yeah, yep. it's more of a facilitation than teaching. Yep. This, is, this is what happened to me in a, a church in Sacramento. I just... Was given like this junior high group, right? And the leadership was trying to get me to follow the what the pastor was teaching in the church, so that way all the parents would go home and read it to their kids, right? So we're doing that. Yeah, and the kids' parents aren't reading it at home reading. No. So I sought the Lord, and the Lord goes, start them up in John. Hmm. So we all awesome. sat there and just read John, and. After about four or five chapters, they all want to get baptized. I mean, and these kids, I mean, you just go, that's God. Yeah. It wasn't me. Right. It was me being obedient to God and just reading this word and the power of this word. Right, right. It, was, it occurs to me that even though that's the goal, I would say probably each one of us manifests that in a different way. Right. Mm-hmm. But, and we do. And I know my relationship with my wife, she uh, is a late born-again Christian, and she was trained up at uh, Holy Trinity Brompton in downtown London. Mm-hmm. And um, the way she approaches Christianity is not the way I approach mm-hmm. it. And um, there are aspects that I don't agree with the way she's been trained. And so that's why I think a minister is really important because um, that's the tail that's hopefully wagging the dog. Right, and I think that that's why even like what we're trying to do with our youth is really it's, you know, it's it's being in here. I mean, you're not going to learn that Jesus is the only way unless you read in John 14 that Jesus is the only way. You need not to have someone tell you that. You need to hear that from God Himself, and be in this Word, you know. And that's that's the part that I think 
we've sort of gone away from just thinking, oh, well, if I listen to other people preach, if I listen to other people teach, if I read this great book, or sorry, but if I read Jesus Call, I'm not sorry, if I read Jesus Calling, or if I read all the stuff that everybody else is writing about Jesus, but I'm not reading the word myself, then I end up having a second-hand relationship with Jesus. I don't have a first-hand relationship with the living God. You, you, I'm hearing it from someone else. That's right. Yeah. You know? You're hearing someone else's right. time with God. That's right. It's like me hearing, you know, hearing about your wife through you, but I got to know your wife personally if I want to know your wife. One, one of the you know, kids so. in the group last night on this uh, said something really cool. One of the seniors in high school. I, I mean, yeah, it was cool because if you looked at this kid, he just looked like a nice water polo surfer kid, just like you know. Cool's a cucumber, you know, good-looking kid. All the girls probably love the guy, right? He's just got the world by the cojones. And uh, this kid was so cool and, and like, <laughs> for real cool, like, just sweet, humble kid. That he's like reading this book called *A Purpose Driven Life*. He's a lifeguard. He said all summer, so he's sitting in the thing and like while in the, while the dead times, just sitting there reading. <laughs> we won't tell him. <laughs> and uh, so he's reading it, and he, and he goes, "If the further I got into it, the further I felt disconnected." Hmm. Versus reading the Bible. Yeah. Wow. Because I was yeah. really, I was really into reading the Bible, and and everything was really flown. And then I started reading this because I thought like that would be a good thing, and and then I just kind of like I put it down. I didn't finish it. I just put it down. And I picked up the Bible again. Right. Good for him. That's so that's important. that's awesome. Yeah, that's cool. You know. So yeah. Very good. Okay. You know, after everything is said and done, I think the bottom line about being a Christian is getting the pecking order straight. Yes. That he sits on the throne. Right. And I don't. <laughs> Not, right. I mean, I mean, until you face that concept that you're not in control. Right. And, and you submit. Right. And, and it's only through a, a kind of a psychological submission. And, and put him on the throne and constantly test your own life. Where Am I putting myself on the throne? Where am I going with right. this, you know? Right. And, and I think that's what keeps you on the path. Right, which is why we need each other and we need this. Because if, we want, if he's sitting on the throne, we better be listening to what he has to say, not what I have to say, or and, the world has to say. Yeah. I, I know I've told you guys this before, but I remember when, you know, I just, like, was baptized in the Spirit, and I, I was on fire. And I'm like going, Lord, you know, where's my submissive wife? And he goes, when are you going to submit to me? Right? Then I realized that my my duty as a minister of God is to minister to my wife, right? Mm-hmm. And so we, like, I'd read the word over her at night, and then it grew into us reading the word together, not only at night, my daughter joined us too, but in the morning as well. And it's like, you talk about, it's not a one-way ministry. Right. She ministers to me, I minister to her. And your daughter and, ministers to you. Right. And God, his daughter pours, is awesome. With pours out his blessings on her. Yeah. You know, it's just amazing. Yeah, yeah but I, my daughter is like, going to church at San Clemente, my wife and I have joined her. But gosh, I just want her to be part of this group. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, uh, hopefully, yeah. we'll see. We'll see that. Okay. So, all right. Let's can go. I say so, one thing first? yes, and let's get back into the word. Speaking of the word, <laughs> no, it's good. Real pushes. I remember several years ago where 
if you become a Christian, your whole life's going to be great. Wow. And all you got to do is submit, and boy, you're going to have plenty of money, you're going to have a job, you're going to have retirement, you're going to have any health issues, everything's going to be... Where's that money? that's not true? Go on. But I remember it was a real oh, yeah. push, you know, sure. to say, all you got to do is come over to our side, you know, and your life's going to be fantastic, yeah. and it's going to be so good. You just won't believe it. And that's and yeah, that's why that's Jesus says Osteen. that's why Jesus says take up the cross and follow me. Yeah, and yeah. I, I memorized some ethical things, and one of them talks about prayer. You're predisposed to pray. Ask for strength and guidance to deal with life's vicissitudes, and not just deliverance from them, because the Lord takes us through those challenges yeah. to teach us and to purify us and to 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 right. work through those problems. And, and if it was the other way, I wouldn't have to pray. That's right. But then you go to other Bible study groups where, at the end, everybody sits around and orders Jesus around. You know, go heal this person of cancer and go over there and fix that yeah. marriage and go over here and do this. And they have a checklist of, you know, work that God's supposed to do. Yeah. Well, Which is fine to pray that, absolutely. Yeah. But it's, yeah, it's not... Um, Saying that if you somehow have a have something, you're in sin. It's because a lot of times God is He's chomping, chopping away at us. You yes. know, I mean, you read the life of we're supposed to follow Jesus, right? Yeah. Then I go, you read the life of Jesus. Okay, you guys, what's following Jesus like? Uh, it's not an easy life. It's <laughs> the hard way. Um, okay, speaking of that, path. getting back to this was a long, more of a long discussion mostly we have, but I appreciate you guys. We're on three um, now, right? Yeah. Five, All right. Actually. So yeah. So sixty-four. Okay. So so I want you to take a look at two through five that Steve read, and think of this as in contrast to what was going on with Ahaz. All right, so we have Ahaz who would decide to go off in his own way. All right, and now, because Ahaz was in the lineage of David, Ahaz was supposed to be this. Okay, this should have been the description of Ahaz. All right, it's going to be end up being the description of Christ. But it's also a description of how we, who follow Christ, should also... <laughs> Be in a lot of what it will be. All right. So, how how look at the contrast? What is the contrast? If you just look at this, let's just take verse two, okay, which is the big one, which talks about the different characteristics of the spirit. Um, what's what what did what contrast that with Ahaz? Well, Ahaz has to keep all the people happy. So, right. You know, anything goes and keep them happy. So how would you how would you look at look at verse two? How would you describe Ahaz? What's different between a verse two of this and what Ahaz? Spirit of the Lord doesn't rest upon him. Okay. <laughs> Starts right there. It doesn't right there. All right. There's so, no wisdom. There's no understanding. Yeah. So right there. And who is it? What? Who brings? So okay. We're good. Who brings these characteristics? Spirit. The spirit. Excellent. All right. So. Ahaz, right there, you see, didn't even have that spirit resting on him. We never hear that spirit came on him like you never, like you'd see with David. And so here you see what what ends up happening with Ahaz. Where is um where does a where does Ahaz get his wisdom and understanding? Is he getting it from the spirit? 
So where's he getting it from? At counselors. He what? Yeah. Probably men, counseling of men. Uh huh. Because was that? I mean, where did he ask to get? Well, I was going back to Solomon said that that when he became king, he had he had this group of elders that helped Solomon, and then he had a whole bunch of young guys that he listened hmm. to, and they like totally gave him bum and bum device, and Israel split off from. From him and went up north yeah, and yeah, yeah, okay, good. What were you saying, Dale? It must be getting from the leadership of the other gods. Yeah. The Very the wise, the yeah. He's listening yeah, He's listening to the, he's listening to what? I mean, that's this whole part here, this whole conspiracy with the world, right? He's getting his wisdom from the world. Or he's getting it from his own arrogance, thinking, I'm God and I only need God. So I'm going to get that wisdom and understanding. I don't need God. I don't need to ask. In fact, that's exactly what happened. God said, ask me anything. And what does he do? He rejects God and says, oh, I, I don't need to ask God because he I thought he had it all figured out. So where is he getting the wisdom from his own, his own self? Well, anywhere, right? anywhere, you sl- anywhere you slice it, if he's not getting it from God, it's... <laughs> It's, yeah, it doesn't matter. That's right. He's getting it from the enemy, whether the enemy's himself, some idol, or just other counselors. Right, right. It occurs to me that that's the precise teaching that the youth need to hear. Mm-hmm. Because what is the benefit to me to become a Christian? And until they realize how the world's going to keep pulling them off track mm-hmm. and, and what those challenges are all about, uh, I think that's the key where they'll realize that, you know what, this is going to help me make good decisions and, and to defer all those distractions that comes from right. the world. So where, where, do they, where do we get today get that wisdom and understanding? Mm-hmm. Right. Here. That's exactly what they're doing. So, media. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not media, right? Yeah, the news. All right. So and what about, con- what about counsel and might? Where, I mean, what's the contrast with Ahaz there? In fact, where does Ahaz go for counsel? <laughs> um, I think I think Dale just said it. I mean, he goes he goes to other gods. He ends up going and worshiping, worshiping other gods. He goes ends up going to Ahaz. All right, looks for where does he look for his might? Okay, his protection. He goes Ahaz goes to Assyria to try to look for that instead of again trusting God for that. All right, where does he go for counsel? He's going to an enemy. As I said, I think a week or two ago, it's like a cat and two mice, all right? And it's like the mouse is going and saying that one mouse is is, um, is uh, Israel and Syria coming against them. And so what does, and Ahaz is the other mouse, and what does it do? Ahaz goes to the cat and says, hey, I want to make a deal with you. You know, if you can just take care of and protect me from... You know, you take care of this mouse, but but this is a mouse going to a cat. What do you think is going to ultimately happen to that mouse? Yeah. <laughs> all right. Yeah. He's going to be he's going to be food. So, all right. Um, and then what? Then look what it says: spirit of the knowledge and the fear of the Lord. All right. Exactly what we saw here. All right. So, so he has is, is saying, "I'm a worshiping Jew." Yes. He yet is. at the same time, he's so split and double-minded. That he's just living out the world. He's right. saying, I'm a practicing Jew, but he's doing the complete which, opposite. Which is what, that's right. Right. 
And so going back to the beginning of two, where it yeah. says the Spirit of the Lord, well, it's the person of the Holy Spirit of the Lord, and you go to the second part, the person of the Spirit of wisdom and understanding. Yeah. The person of the Holy Spirit of wisdom and counsel, or counsel and might. The person of the Holy Spirit of knowledge. You know, each time, it's like the person, I'm blocking out the Holy Spirit. That's right. But it's the person of the Holy Spirit. It's, it's capitalized spirit yeah, here, right. but it's the person of the Holy right. Spirit. It, right, exactly. Okay. Yeah, good. Um, and you just think, so you just contrast this here. And again, I guess it comes back to what I said about the survey at the beginning. Always asking ourselves as Christians, is this where we get our wisdom and understanding? Okay, is it the spirit that we're counting on to get us through the next day that gives us that might? to get through, not based on, you know, my own might or the world's might or something to get me through, you know? It's like, am I trusting in and in a relationship with the living God to do all that? Um, is, I, am I, is my knowledge coming from, <laughs> you know, here? <laughs> you know? Or is it coming from the fear of the Lord? All right? Um, so you just see this contrast. This is like you're getting this contrast. This is how Ahaz should have been. This is how this is how Christ is. But this is how we. This is actually points to us too. We're supposed to be ones who follow Christ. We have this. We're what happened to Christ when he when when Jesus was started his ministry. How did he start his ministry? Yes. The Holy Spirit yes. fell upon him. What empowered the ministry of Jesus? The Holy Spirit. What did Jesus do after he died on, before he died on the cross? He said, when I die on the cross, what's going to happen? I am not going to leave you alone. Now I'm going to bring my spirit, the spirit, to now empower you and live in you to be my presence in you so you can understand these words and you can live by that power of that spirit. He says, I will send you the comforter. Right, exactly. The comforter. It's a personal, again, okay? Um, so you can just see, you know, through this, it's like this. And so we read on. He shall not judge by what his eyes see. <laughs> I just think again today. This is so out of the world today. Or decide disputes by what his ears hear. All right? Not by what the world's telling them, but is with righteousness that he shall judge the poor. And judge there means make right for the poor. This doesn't mean you're judging the poor. If you remember all throughout um, Isaiah here, the big judgment that's happening, if you guys remember in 1 through 5, the big judgment in Israel was because they were not taking care of the poor. They were not taking care of those less advantaged. Okay, And what is being said here is that and that if you listen to what Jesus' mission is, is to free those who are oppressed, to come for the poor, to take care of those who are needy. All right. And here it's saying that this Christ, ultimately, which is point to, will be the one who will judge means make right. He will make things right for those who are poor. All right. Um, he would decide with equity for the meek of the earth. Blessed are those who are meek, for they will inherit the earth, <laughs> all right? Um, and he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked and then righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. Okay. I mean, that's 
There you go. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Which we can't meet. No. Which we can only meet through the Spirit. (laughs) Okay? Through that relationship with Christ. All right. Then it says, um, here we go. Good time. All right. So now we have this sort of interesting movement, okay, from sort of talking about this is what, this is the character of this king, this this king that's going to come, which is Christ. That's the character of the king. Now we have sort of a description of what that looks like. All right, I'm wondering what you guys think about this. So you hear, the wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fatted calf together, and the little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Can you guys tell me what that means? (laughs) The Garden of Eden. Oh, very good. Okay, so there you go. It's like a resetting of the Garden of Eden. All right. Takes peace and, der- and wipes out derision, but brings peace Excellent. all across the board. Excellent. Very, very good. So you see what's happening here? That peace is coming upon all of God's creation. So this is the future. It, well, do you see it happening right now? <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. This is the future. If you, if you, well, it is the future. You look at Revelation, right? Twenty-one, twenty-two. You see this being fulfilled. Okay. Yeah, this is the future. And I think some people will look at this and go, is this mean I'm literally going to see? In fact, there's this picture. Okay, the picture. Um, well, you get into pre-trib and post-trib people now. Well, yeah, and I'm not going to. Well, yeah. you. But, like, this is the picture someone drew. This is back in 1832. Mm-hmm. This is the picture they drew of that. You guys can see that good. There's uh, this verse, this passage we just read. Uh-huh. One of the weirdest paintings ever. Yeah, it is. It is <laughs> Everything's I mean, there. It is weird. Yeah. <laughs> they look like people, don't they? Sort of the. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. Can they not look like that? <laughs> You're an artist, Jason. Maybe you need to do a new rendition of it. I think so. Um, it was Mad Magazine 18. <laughs> so I think on one hand, this could be like literally like in the new heavens and new earth, I will see lions with lambs. It could be it could be that and or it can also be what we were just what he was just referring to is it's really talking about just the peace that comes over all nations, over all kingdoms that Christ is going to bring this into this piece where all the divisions, I mean, can you imagine that even, I mean, you look at today, you go, wow, what would it be like if we were all, right. no more divisions, that we we're all one in Christ, we're all worshiping the same king, you know? Um, what kind of peace and shalom would go for that? Yes, Jason. I don't think it would go into this deep, I mean, I know there's, there's a lot of, of symbolic, Metaphor, metaphors, yeah, yeah. uh huh, as right. But for some reason, this this strikes me as much more literal <laughs> for a reason, and it's all these things eat each other, right? 
Okay. We all they, they all eat each other and we very very eat good. Them. And it, it's funny that you went to sixty because then it. It's sixty one. Sixty. Is sixty or sixty-one? Uh-huh. Well, sixty. The sun shall be no more. Your light. Where are you looking? Where are you go, reading? Goes into uh, nineteen. Sixty nineteen. Oh, okay. And basically, right. sixty just goes through a whole bunch of what it's going to be like. All right. Gotcha. And, but you know, nineteen through it discusses more specifically the fact that you know the sun and the moon, all these <coughs> things that, that that are the light now will no longer be the light, so forth. All these things. The fact that we have to eat food. Now, to sustain ourselves, this is, in my mind, referring to that no, no, no one will have to do that anymore. It may, it may, and we don't know for sure. Yeah, you're, you're, maybe you're right. I mean, I think there's a reason that it's literal. Also all, talk, all the that's why I think, and a lot of times when God uses the metaphors, you have a mix of all this. Yeah. Okay? Mm-hmm. So on one hand, yeah, because a peace is going to happen to all the nations and to all the peoples. But on the other hand, it's also, what does it say in Romans 8? The God's creation is groaning for this new heavens and new or, new earth, for it to be redeemed, and this is the this is what that redemption looks like. He also yeah. talks about those trees bearing their fruit, uh, you know, for for our food and for help. And it's like that's probably why the animals and we, we don't need to eat each other anymore because of these trees that. We're bringing forth their fruit and the water will be coming out from underneath the temple of God inside living water. It's just definitely speaking of a time when all this takes place. We don't know when that is. We don't know if we, no. you know, like have a millennium, a millennium coming next or what, but we just have to keep trusting with God. Yeah, I mean, you read Revelation 21, right? The end. I mean, you listen to what it says that we, and again, we're not going to be in heaven, okay? I mean, I remember I got rocked when I was a Christian, like 10, 15 years into being a Christian, realizing, wait a minute, I'm not spending eternity in heaven. I'm spending eternity in a new earth. Heaven is coming to the new earth. It says a new heavens and a new earth. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven, the first earth passed away, and the sea was no more. I know a lot of us are bummed about that part. <laughs> okay, um, and I saw a holy city, the New Jerusalem. Okay, where is it? Is it going up to heaven? No, coming down from heaven, from God, prepared as a bride adorned for a husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, "Behold, the dwelling place of God is." With man, God is coming here. Okay, God is with man. Where am I? He will dwell with them, and they will be His people. And God Himself will be with them and be their God. And then we go back to sort of what you just said. He will wipe every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. So, I mean, again, right there, you have a picture of. Of what that looks like. Um, I love this part. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright. And there you go to what Chris just said. This is now the full redemption. You go all the way back to the Garden of Eden. And you go chapter 1, Garden of Eden. Chapter 2. 1, 2, Garden of Eden. And now 
you jump all the way to the very end of Revelation 22, very last chapter of Scripture, and you see these connected. The whole arc gets connected. The angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life. Where was the tree of life? Genesis 1 and 2, okay? Is, is the river capitalized by chance? Well, they want to remember there's no capitals. And, oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. So here it's not, but that right. that's not really the issue. Um, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. And then you see the connection. The leaves of the tree were the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of the lamp or the sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. That's our hope. (laughs) That's what ultimately we're reading here in Isaiah. It's because of Christ who came that gives us this hope that we just read there. Um, So you can sort of see it's almost like it makes sense because in Isaiah 11, you see about who this king is that's going to bring all that. And then we read that we just read in verse 6 to 9 what it is he's bringing, (laughs) this peace throughout all. Make sense? Yeah? Yeah. All right. So then it continues on. We'll go through. It says, in that day, verse 10, the root of Jesse again, who shall stand as a signal for all the peoples of him, again being Christ, shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. In that day, the Lord will extend his hand yet a second time. And most people think the first time is the exodus. All right, so the very first time God did this where he rescued his people, was he rescued Israel, very first time out of um, out of Egypt. In the second time, he will recover the remnant that remains from his people from Assyria, from Egypt, Pathros, Cush, Elam, Shinar, Hamath, from the coastland to the sea. He will rise a signal for the nations and will assemble the banished of Israel and gather the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. The jealousy of Ephraim shall depart and those who harass Judah shall be cut off. So you see here a mix of both future and actually the reality of what's going to happen. God is going to cut off Ephraim from Judah, and Judah shall not any more be harassed by Ephraim, but they shall swoop down on the shoulder of the Philistines in the west, and together they will plunder the people of the east. They shall put out their hand against Edom and Moab, and the Ammonites shall obey them, and the Lord will utterly, 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 Destroy the tongue of the sea of Egypt and will wave his hand over the river with his scorching breath and strike it into seven channels and he will lead people across in sandals and there will be a highway from Assyria for the remnant that remains of his people as there was for Israel. Going back again to the first exodus when they came from the land of Egypt. So this is in this historical part this is referring to ultimately when this is referring to when all the people because of judgment in Israel and Judah are going to be dispersed okay into other lands all right and then you end up having 
it, as people would say, it's not, it was never a complete exodus. I mean, there was never a complete exodus out of those lands back to Israel. But a lot of those people came back. You know, you had Nehemiah, you had all the people coming back from Babylon. They were exiled into Babylon, coming back. All right. Um, so this is her referring, at least in part, to that. Um, but ultimately still referring finally to the end and end time with that. I read the introduction to Isaiah in my other Bible, and it talks about recovering his people through the dual work of redemption and restoration. Yeah. So redemption to me means that the people have to be shown and they have to be willing to come back. But his grace allows that to happen. Absolutely. Absolutely. So the question is, how do they get the word? <laughs> you know, how, how do they get introduced to the benefits of redemption? Well, that's part of it. Well, part of it's coming from Isaiah right here. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's kind of saying, okay, guys, get ready because this is what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. It's all through the good news, the yeah. gospel. Yeah. You know. What kind of credentials did he have coming on the scene? You know. His credential was that he, well, uh, I, that's Isaiah, a good question. What I, credential? Yeah, I'll, I'll read and then we'll close. Then, then we'll close. Just to remind ourselves, this, this, what are your credentials? Uh, I'll read you Isaiah's credentials. Um, he came into the very presence of God. All right, in Isaiah six, Isaiah came into the very presence of God, where he saw the seraphim, the very presence where he could see God. All right, in Isaiah six. And the seraphim were flying around saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The foundation shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. So Isaiah is literally in the very presence of God. And then Isaiah responds by saying, which is how we all should respond, knowing that we are in the presence of God who lives now in us. And I said, Isaiah said, Woe is me. For I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. That, and then, because he said that, what ends up happening, behold, this, the seraphim comes down, touches him, touches his lips with coal. Your guilt is taken away, your sin atoned for. And then the Lord says, whom shall I send and who will go for us? There you go. Are you commissioning? Here I am. Send me. Go and save the people, the Lord says. And we have all the book of Isaiah because of that. There's a commission. It's literally being in the presence of God and saying, woe is me. I am a person of unclean lips, of sin. We always need to be in that state or we will become like Ahaz and just like in a second. I watch myself. You become arrogant in a second. I got this all figured out. Yeah. I feel pretty good about myself, you know? I don't really need to ask, pray about that anymore. I don't need to, as you said, Chris, get on my knees anymore. So I wish that, I could say I could do that every day, okay? I mean, so, this is, if we really are in the presence of God, this is the response. We're on our knees yeah, 24 right. hours a day, <laughs> right? Something has been coming to me recently. Uh-huh. 
sharing a little bit about it, but um, the term I am. I am. Um, yeah. The great I am. Um, yeah, I had a really wild vision about that. But it's when you read that, what stood out to me that was fascinating regarding I am is that I sent Isaiah, as he drops to his knees, he said, I am lost. Mm-hmm. And then after he had the cold put to his uh-huh. lips, and the Lord said, who should I send? He said, here I am. Mm-hmm. Oh, hmm, hmm. I never, never saw that. In the presence of the Lord. Oh, Lord. Huh. Huh. That's, That's good, Jason. So, yeah. the... The what's been the Lord has been imparting to me is the, the presence. How to be? What our objective is in order to to how do we be mm-hmm. in the kingdom is practicing in every way we possibly can being present, being present, being in this moment and recognizing wholeheartedly that we are in the presence of God. Right. His glory fills the entire, entire world. Right. We saw that, right? Just right there. Holy, holy, holy. And so here he is right. just saying, I'm lost. I'm found. Yeah. Here I am. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah, Chris. What I was going to say is um, you asked what the credential, what is this credential? And it ties into what Jason's saying. It's, it's, I think it's similar to us. It's like available. It's even there. It says, here I am. Send me credentials. A humble enough guy to say, here I am. And for some reason, I haven't researched this, but it says, I said here, and you see how it's capitalized here. I am period capital S send me. It just, it's like, why is it says, I said comma. And then in quotation marks, the here is capitalized. Interesting, uh-huh. huh? And and remember, yeah. And I just remind everyone of this: you, what you're seeing with capitals here and everything, yeah. we're doing that in a translation. Right. I think the capitals are representing. Where it's representing because we're speaking of God, right, all right, exactly. without a doubt. But in the original version, when you go and read the Hebrew. There's no such thing as capitals. <laughs> it's just all there is a, just but, letters. But the, but the Hebrew the, the, reader... The, the context of it knows... Putting that yeah. in, in that... So they would put that there the way we put that there is by right. doing capitals. Right. <laughs> right, exactly. But it's yeah. just it's significant that he was... And it's a significant question in our lives. Are we available? Yes. Are we available? I mean, if, if and are we available, humble? In that, are you humble, humble as you say... That's the key. Are yeah. you aware that, that you're in the presence right. of God? Yeah. Well, and, and the response, remember, sorry, yeah, go ahead. Well, because he wants to use, we're, we are what he uses. We have that yeah. honor. Yeah. We have that. We're here tonight yeah. to get fired up, to see the connection from Genesis, here we are in Isaiah, seeing to Revelation, right. and it should be bolstering our faith in such a, I mean, it's just for us, if the Spirit's empowering us, it just couldn't be more clear. Right. So when we go back to the job site, or our families, or the kids, it's like, you have such a confidence in mm-hmm. what you're talking to them about yeah. because the Spirit has made it plain to you, but all, it's very practical. Yeah. And, and we're avail- he was available. We want to get fired up to be available or, or learned to be available. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's where I would say the, one of the best, I don't know what to say, 
the, I think one of the best reminders of knowing whether we're there is that we see how holy God is and how we are not without him. Totally. That I, we are a people of unclean lips. If you look at the Apostle Paul, it's fascinating because if you look at his first book that he wrote, first letters that he wrote, and you look at his last letters, we would think as we would think naturally, oh well, over time he's going to become more holy and more like Christ. Okay, and yet when you listen to Paul from those first letters to the last, his last letters are just he's overwhelmed with the sense of how much sin he bears on him and how much sin he still has in him that needs to be cleansed. He's in this constant state of trembling before the Lord saying, I cannot do this. I'm a person of unclean lips. Lord, I need your grace and your mercy because without it, I'm lost. Totally. And that state is that humility that I, I thank God for the times he just likes to come and hit me in the head. I'm like, hit me in the head soon. Don't let me go too far. You know, that's why we need each other, right? It's we need so each other to just say, you know, Jason to come up to me and go, uh, Greg, you know, you're a little arrogant there. Totally All right? Reliant. Slap me in my face, right? I mean, we need each other for that. Total reliance on God. Absolutely. Yeah, we can't do it any other way. Yeah. It's like, that's what happened to all the kings. They don't finish strong. Yeah. Like Uzziah is so, such a great king. And then he, he's going to go in and burn incense to the Lord in the Lord's house in the temple. And that was only for the priests. Yeah. It's like, uh, all right, so I want to do one more. Oh, yeah, well, Chad, you had you yeah, to say something. This title here above six, it says Isaiah's vision of the Lord. Yeah. Is that title actually something that was in? Like, no. That's something I nope. like, None of the verses are there. None of the titles are there. Because I, know it, None of I know it says, I saw the Lord. Like, mm-hmm. That doesn't necessarily have to mean it was like some vision while he was sleeping or just something. Well, in fact, the word, a, like I think it could have been a, possibly a physical thing. No, I think know. in fact it probably in fact in this state the word vision and the him seeing it is not a dream. So when there's a dream, they'll say a dream. This right. is really like I'm literally experiencing the presence of God. Like we don't understand that. It's Some just, people think was he actually in the temple or the probably the, at this time. Yeah, it could be the temple at this time. We don't know, but whatever it was, he was literally like, let's call it transported. <laughs> he was in the very presence, experiencing that is a reality. Yeah, it doesn't have like the tone of like, when you look at other passages of scripture and it talks about dream, it's like a, almost a different tone. Yeah, it, it is a different tone. It means actually something different. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like yeah. the angels showing up to like Mary. Right. And, uh, yeah. So I want to have us end um, with you guys for like, Four minutes, <laughs> um, and we'll be done. Um, I thought what I'd do, and this is sort of a, let me just tell you right offhand, this is a strange rendition of the psalm. Well, not of the psalm, but just trying to find someone who sings this uh, was a little difficult. So it's sort of like this weird jazz sort of thing version. So, so go less by how it sounds, a <laughs> musician. Um, this, there's a... Um, a hymn, in essence, which is called the first song of Isaiah. And the irony is it's called the first song of Isaiah. It's actually part of the common book of prayer. It's part of the liturgy of the church. Um, and it is about Isaiah 12. So what I did not do, we, we went through Isaiah 11, okay? But this is actually a song singing Isaiah 12, 
All right. And I thought I would end with that because it's sort of the response of now that we've seen who this Christ is and this hope that Isaiah has, you notice what happens is you will say in that day, and now, in essence, Isaiah 12 is like this song being sung back to God for what he's done, or as we would say, what he's done in Christ. Okay. Um, so just I'm going to want to end with this, sort of our call our closing prayer of just listening to the song. And I gave you the words so you can sort of follow on the words. And again, it's really the text of Isaiah 12, you know, modified a little bit for song. All right. So um, let's see if I can pull this off here.
and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. <laughs>